0: I think Joseph must have been a terribly bright person, but there's nothing that's said about him being able to even speak Egyptian. So really, as he's being led into Egypt, he has lost everything. There's only one thing that we know of that he still has, and that would be those dreams.
1: Welcome to Life, Love, and Family. When life's not the way it's supposed to be, maybe for you it's a diagnosis you just got, an injury, divorce, maybe a loss, Maybe it was growing up in a foster home or being abused by someone who was supposed to love you. Our topic today, you're going to get through this. As morning dawns and evening fades, you inspire songs of praise that arise from earth to touch your heart and glorify Your name Your name is a strong and mighty tower Your name is a shelter like no other Your name, let the nation sing it loud. Welcome back to Life Loving Family. Hi, this is Dr. Tim Clinton. You bet as long as God's on the throne, there's always hope. If you're in deep water, going through tough times, if you feel like you're not gonna make it through, that maybe the depression won't lift, that the yelling won't stop, or the pain won't leave, Keep the dial turned up. Our special guest today, Max Licato. More than 100 million readers have found comfort, yes, in the writings of Max Licato. He ministers at Oak Hills Church in San Antonio, Texas, where he and his wife live. Max, welcome back to Life, Love, and Family.
0: Oh, it's so great to be with you. I hope you and all your listeners are having a great day today.
1: Max, your new book, you'll get through this. Hope and help for your turbulent times. Congratulations. What a great piece of work.
0: Thank you. You know, I'm a pastor really before I'm a writer, and uh, we just sensed in our church in San Antonio that we needed to help people understand how God uses difficult times and how God can get us through difficult times, and so that's really the origin of this book. It was a sermon series I presented to the church and seemed to minister to them, so we turned it into a book.
1: Max, for some of us, it seems like we're always in white water, if you know what I mean. Yeah. The Road Gets Tough, built on the story of Joseph, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible, Max. It starts out, though, uh, you've got nothing but just a sheer family mess. Can you take us back and set the context for us?
0: Yeah, and of all families, these are the sons of Jacob, the most famous family in the Bible. The closest thing the Bible comes to royalty. You know, these are the great-grandsons of Abraham, yet as the story of Joseph unfolds, they're just a dysfunctional family. Jacob had multiple lovers, and he had two wives, and he had really one love. And Rachel, when before she died, bore him two sons, one of whom was uh, Joseph. And Joseph was really the love of his life. And though Joseph was son number 11... Jacob treated him like son number one. And so Jacob was you know, a louse when it came to a dad. The brothers were angry. The home was hostile and toxic. Finally, the brothers decided that they would rather be without baby Joseph. And so they threw him in a pit. They intended to kill him. They had a chance to sell him into slavery. And so off he goes into Egyptian captivity. And so that's how the story of Joseph starts. It's, you talk about abandonment or family issues. I've Joseph had every one of them.
1: The issue of favoritism in a family, Max, if you're talking to a, a class of kids like I get to do uh, each week here on campus at Liberty, ask them, is there a black sheep in your family? Every one of them will raise their hand. Were you the black sheep? They're going to raise their hand. But it starts creating this family dissension and then family pain. You know, in the scripture when it says that when Joseph was going out to see his brothers, it says that while he was yet afar of off, his brothers saw him and said, Behold, the dreamer cometh and they conspired to kill him. Max, there's not too much pain like being rejected inside of a family system with people who are supposed to love you.
0: That's such a good point, Tim. I don't think there's any deeper pain than that. You know, I can take not making the Little League team. Uh, I can take not getting asked out to, you know, an event. Uh, I can take not getting accepted into a university, but if I'm a young kid and I don't have a dad or a mom to protect or to nurture me, or the ones who were supposed to protect and nurture me do just the opposite, and I'm inappropriately touched or I'm abandoned, those create some wounds within us that I think they take a long time to heal, and I am completely convinced that we must have God's help in bringing supernatural healing to those deep, deep
1: wounds. Max, when you were describing Joseph in your new book, uh, You'll Get Through This, you talked about how he was stripped of everything. What did you mean by that?
0: Well, you think about Joseph when he's being led into Egyptian captivity, when he's being sold into slavery, and you envision him on that road, on that walk from Beersheba down to Egypt, I love that little phrase in Genesis 37. It says, Joseph was taken down to Egypt. <laughs> down, down, down to Egypt. And, and, and really, everything has been taken away from him. His family name. He has no family to protect him. He does not have a penny. He doesn't have any skill. I think Joseph must have been a terribly bright person. But there's nothing that's said about him being able to even speak Egyptian. So really, as he's being led into Egypt, he has lost everything. There's only one thing that we know of that he still has, and that would be those dreams, those curious dreams that opened the story of Joseph, where God, through dreams, told Joseph he was going to have a place of prominence in the family. Joseph, I think, mismanaged those dreams. He shouldn't have bragged about them. Nonetheless, he had these dreams. He had a belief that God had a place for him. And so he had lost everything, but he held on to that destiny, to those dreams, that God
1: had for him. You know, C.S. Lewis once said that pain was God's megaphone. But Max, when the road gets difficult uphill, now when the wheels come flying off and it's not fun anymore, people, I think they naturally want to run to God, but at the same time they run from him or they resist him or they begin to blame him. Talk to us, Max, about how do you do the God piece when it's not okay?
0: I think what we're talking about when we Pass through times of terrible difficulty. What we're talking about are unmet expectations. You know, we all have expectations of God. We may have never articulated them, but really, we live with a contractual relationship with God. That if I do my part, He's going to do His part. My part is to do my best to be a decent human being. His part is to be a good God, and that means to you know, I'll never have to bury a child. I'll never have cancer. My marriage will survive. And then when God, it seems, doesn't do his part, all of a sudden we're dealing with unmet expectations. Well, we know in human relationships, unmet expectations are difficult. But when you feel that God has not met your expectations, you're setting yourself up for a faith crisis. And so I think that's why these times like this, uh, Tim, are so difficult, because we really, in our heart, feel disappointed with God. We feel like he hasn't done his part. To get through this, and we do get through it with God's help, but to get through it, it means kind of a redefinition of our expectations of God. And that comes with some heart-to-heart, painful conversations with God. So I really think one of the first steps in getting through a tough time is to pray your pain out, to just get honest, do what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Say, Lord, take this cup away from me. But then you've got to come to the point where you say, but not what I want. It's what you want that matters.
1: Max, I want to stay with that pray your pain out piece for a moment because I think we've got a lot of people out there. They try to do things right. They're trying to be faithful in their family, maybe faithful in their faith walk with the Lord, going to church, spending time in his word, having devotions. They're praying earnestly for good in their life and saying God give me wisdom and direction and then what happens is they're getting sucker punched here or there going back to the story of Joseph one of the things that really always captivated me in the story Max was when remember when Joseph is about to reveal himself to his brothers and I want to focus on the pain factor just for a second After he was second only to the Pharaoh in all of Egypt, he's got everything in the whole world and his brothers are coming back and he knows them, but they don't know him. And finally the day comes and he's going to reveal himself, Max, and the word says that he says, everybody to go away from me. And then the Bible says that he wept so bitterly that the entire house of the Pharaoh heard him him cry, Max, that pain of rejections pouring out all those years later. And I think in our relationship with God, we're saying, God, come on, come on, God. And praying your pain out here, Max, help us.
0: Well, and you don't see Joseph crying any other time, except when he has these encounters with his brothers and that ancient, that old scab is pulled off. He doesn't cry about the famine. He doesn't cry about prison. He doesn't cry when Potiphar's wife lies about him. If my math is correct, I found six times that Joseph wept. And like you said, we're not talking about his eyes just filling with tears. There were several times that he had to dismiss everybody and his wails could be heard up and down the hallways of the Egyptian palace. You know, family wounds are the deepest wounds. And I think that's why we love the story of Joseph. It's so real. It could happen today, and it does happen today. The beauty of the story of Joseph is that God got him through that, and there was reconciliation. And Joseph told his brothers, now you intended evil against me, but God intended it for good, to bring about this present result to keep many people alive. And Joseph was able to do what is almost impossible, and that is lift himself up above the immediate struggle, the dust of the struggle, and see it from a heavenly perspective and say, okay, God didn't create this pain, but he is using this pain to accomplish something greater. And in this case, it was the protection of Jacob's family and really the protection of the lineage of Jesus Christ by bringing them out of barbaric Canaan, into protective custody in Egypt where they could flourish into a nation.
1: I noticed throughout the scripture in this passage, Max, and from the book, you'll get through this again, hope and help for your turbulent times, that this phrase kept popping up, God was with him, that God was with him. What does that mean, Max, that God was with him?
0: You're asking such great questions because that's what I noticed as well. The story of Joseph begins in Genesis 37, and then there's that interesting story of Judah in Genesis 38, and then Genesis 39 picks up the story of Joseph again. By now, he's in Egyptian captivity, and the repeated phrase, the most repeated phrase in those first few paragraphs is, God was with Joseph, God was with Joseph, but God had favor upon Joseph. I think to me, Tim, I may be wrong, but it seems to me the narrator is trying to tell us that the reason Joseph got through this is because God was with Joseph. It wasn't Joseph who did it. It wasn't Joseph's skill or his acumen or his good looks, even though his good looks are mentioned. But really, the reason that he got through these things, this difficult time, was that God was with him. And I use that in the book to really call on people who are going through tough times to lay claim to the nearness of God. We have this default emotion within us that says, well, if times are bad, then God must be gone, or the presence of pain is the absence of God. We can't give in to that lie. We have to let God's scripture trump our emotions in tough times and and acknowledge and believe God is near whether I feel he is near or not. And there's never a time that we're not in the presence of God. Right now, every one of your listeners, all of us, we're in the presence of God. That means we can call out to him at any point, and he will respond. Uh, The devil wants us to think that God has gone away or God is not near. That's his most simple and basic tool. It's his first lie. But we're not going to let him get by with that on us, because we're going to believe that God is near.
1: You know, Max, I was looking at Philippians chapter 4. You know that verse, rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. The next verse, and it's interesting because it's going back to what you were just saying. Let your moderation or your confidence be made known to everyone. And here it is. Paul says, the Lord is near. Lord is near. Therefore, be anxious for nothing.
0: Isn't that great?
1: That is great, isn't it? it is. He
0: doesn't say you don't have any problems or life is going to be great or you're not going to have any storms. He says, no, you can be anxious for nothing because the Lord is near.
1: And Max, um, for those who are listening right now, they're probably saying, God, I know you're near, but I just need something, someone, somebody, somebody God, would you just show up? Let me know it in some tangible way. Max, is it wrong to cry out like that?
0: Not one bit. Not one bit. I think that's the reason that stories like the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane are in the Bible. There's a book in the Bible called Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is really a book of complaints. You can't read the book of Psalms without shaking your head at all the times that David or the other psalmists actually shouted anger at God. Part of getting through tough times is just crying out to God. I was sharing this message just last evening at at a church and a lady came up to me afterwards and she said, you know that part of crying out to God? She said, I get that because I'm a mother of five kids. I love all my kids. In a sense, I'm always with my kids. They're always on my mind. But if one of my children is sick, they have the flu, there's something wrong with them or they're afraid, and they cry out to me, I'm there in a heartbeat. And she looked at me, she said, how much more would God, who is perfect, who loves us and who's not limited by time or space, who has a perfect love, how much more would he not respond in a heartbeat when we cry out to him?
1: Joseph believed God then, I guess, in the midst of all this. And that's the challenge for us. Also, there was something about him, too, Max, that I picked up on. And that was he was sensitive to how he lived. Of course, everybody knows the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. What would you draw from that?
0: <laughs> it's just, again, I just chuckle because the story of Joseph, isn't it, Tim? It, it's just so real. Here's a good-looking guy. I mean, he could be on the cover of GQ magazine today. And Potiphar, who, by the way, is... A high-ranking official in Pharaoh's security. It'd be, we think, similar to being in charge of the Secret Service for the president. So it's an important job. Odds are with was such an important job he could have his pick of women to marry. And odds are Potiphar had a beautiful wife. And for whatever reason, Potiphar's wife got her eyes set on Joseph, young Joseph, young handsome Joseph, who's the guy who brings coffee to her bed in the morning. You know, he's in charge of the other slaves, in charge of Potiphar's household. And Potiphar likes him. She likes him. Potiphar can be gone now because Joseph is so efficient and sufficient. And so one day she just decides to put the move on him. It's a really steamy story. You got to, you know, take your glasses off and wipe them a few times as you're reading it because (laughs) she puts the hanky-panky on him. And he says no, and she reaches for him. It's almost a forcible rape she attempts. She grabs him, and, and he pulls his coat off because he had read, as, as one preacher says, he'd rather be without his coat than his character. And he turns and he runs out of the room, and she left holding his coat is so angry that she accuses him of rape, and that's when he ends up in prison. And it, what I took away from the story, Tim, is, is that during tough times, were all very tempted to say yes to short-term solutions for these long-term problems. Uh, Joseph surely was tempted. I mean, he could have enjoyed a few moments of repose, a few moments of indulgence, and justified it. he had had such a hard stretch, ten years by then, uh, away from his family. But he didn't do it. He decided, no, how can I sin against my master, speaking of Potiphar? And then he said, how can I sin against God by doing such a thing? So he did what was right in the eyes of God. And I think that's one reason he got through those tough times.
1: Pain can blind your eye, and uh, you can make some crazy decisions in the midst of it.
0: I bet you've seen that a thousand times in your role as a counselor and helping other counselors. Because here's the deal. Don't make matters worse by doing something you'll regret. Things are tough, absolutely. But you know what? A night with pornography doesn't make them better. A bottle of Jim Beam does not fix it. Uh, A dalliance in the arms of illicit love does not solve the problem. The truth of the matter is those just make matters worse. I have a friend who always says, stupid doesn't fix stupid. <laughs> and and I think there's truth to
1: You that. can fix dumb, but you can't fix stupid. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to get a case of the stupids when you're going through dark times like this. Max, there's so much to talk about in the story of Joseph, but let's go to when the brothers begin to face Joseph, and he messes with them a little bit. He says, um... How many brothers do you have? Oh, by the way, send Benjamin here. And then we all know what happens. They're going to send him back home, and he keeps Benjamin. Talk to us about it, Max. How do you manage your emotion and all this? Mm
0: -hmm. The story of Joseph is so intriguing because he sees the brothers when they come from Canaan during the famine, and they're standing in the bread line there in Egypt, and Joseph recognizes them immediately. He hears their Hebrew. He hears their unique dialect. He looks up and he's overseeing the process of caring for all the nations. And he recognizes immediately these are his brothers. But they don't recognize him, which I think is understandable. It's been, I think it's been about 20 years, at least 17 or 18 years. Joseph doesn't look like a Hebrew boy anymore. I mean, he looks like an Egyptian prince. He's clean shaven. He probably has makeup on his face. He may be wearing one of those kind of helmet type wigs that they wore. Uh, and he's not speaking Hebrew. You know, he's speaking through a translator. And so it's, it's logical that they would not recognize him. But boy, when he sees them, all of these emotions stir up. I don't think he thought he'd ever see his family again. And all of a sudden, he has to deal with these emotions. And then you read the story of Joseph doing these curious things, throwing his brothers in jail for three days, then sending them back, telling them to bring Benjamin while he keeps one of them in jail. And then when they get back, he has a feast for them, and he seats them according to the family order. How in the world did he know that? The brothers must have thought. And then he sends them back, but he hides a silver cup in the sack. It's just back and forth and back and forth. And it's really fun reading all the commentaries and all the explanations as to why this happened. And the one that makes most sense to me, Tim, is that forgiveness is just the toughest trick in the bag. And he was trying to forgive, but then he was trying to get even. One day he wanted to love them, the next day he wanted to choke their necks. I mean, that's how forgiveness is. It's just a process. And eventually he was able to reconcile with them, but it wasn't overnight. It wasn't quick and it wasn't painless, but he was on the path to forgiveness and ultimately saw reconciliation
1: with his brothers. Max, when he reveals himself, he gets to that place where he finally says, man, how are you guys doing? And how's dad doing? I'm thinking about the family piece here, Max. And then what's so interesting about the forgiveness element, too, is if I recall this right, there's a phrase that he says to his brothers when they've made up and he's sending them back with the goodies to bring dad back. And he says this to him: see that you fall not out of the way.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's
0: great. Don't mess up. <laughs> Keep your head in the game. And then that that time when he sees Jacob and Jacob sees him and he falls in his father's arms and they reconcile and the family is reunited. And, you know, I, I think, Tim, the question for us is what would have happened had Joseph chosen just to hold a grudge or had he chosen just to seek revenge or had he chosen to never try to reconcile? And what would we have today? Would we still have the story of Joseph? And so the question, I think, for your listeners is, yeah, I know reconciliation's difficult, and I know what they did hurt, but could it be that God has some wonderful story left to be written for your family that your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren can read? I conducted a funeral a few months ago for a an older saint in our church. And I remember when I first moved to San Antonio nearly, well, about 25 years ago, I met this man and his wife. And she had just come out of an affair. And he decided to forgive her. And they came to my office and they wanted me to know as their pastor how tough it had been. Tears rolling down his cheeks said, you know, I'm going to forgive her. And now a quarter of a century later, I, i preached at his funeral. And for 25 years, they had really a wonderful marriage after the affair. And I thought he could have walked away. He could have given up, but he would have missed out on this joyful, sweet quarter of a century with this woman who made a mistake, but repented. It was a beautiful story of reconciliation. And I'm so thankful that he didn't miss out on it.
1: One last thought here, Max. We love to quote it. That which was meant for evil... God was going to take it and use it for good. Bring us home, Max, and let us know that in the midst of what we're going through right now, we're going to get through it.
0: Absolutely. That's, you're quoting Genesis 50, which is the most important verse in the Joseph story. What you intended for evil, Joseph told his brothers. God intended for good. The three key words in that verse, evil, God, good. Evil can become good as long as we keep God in the middle. And that's what Joseph did. He, he kept turning to God. God kept his presence with Joseph. And I think that that's the promise for all of us. Not that there is no evil on this earth. We all know there is evil. But that God can take that evil and he can reintend it. And that's what the Hebrew verb here means. The, the brothers came weaving evil, but God rewove it into good. And this is what I hope your listeners will trust and hang on to today. You're going to get through this. It's not going to be quick or painless, but God can take this mess and he can use it for good. But in the meantime, be like Joseph. Don't be foolish or naive, but don't despair either. Because with God as your helper, you'll get through this.
1: He's New York Times bestselling author and pastor. His new book, You'll Get Through This Hope and Help for Your Turbulent Times. Max, thanks for being with us.
0: Thank you. You're such a great friend. I appreciate you and your great work.
1: Why? The question that. I- Please don't let this go So what about you? Do you really believe you're gonna make it through? Let me encourage you. Know this, you're not alone. First of all, pain does happen. You don't have to be sold into Egypt to get hurt. What's amazing too is that God knows your pain. And remember what Max said. In the midst of it, God was near. Joseph believed that. And because he believed it, he chose to live above his pain. He trusted God. Even more than that, he also began to work through his emotions. Sure, he was angry. Sure, he struggled with wanting to get even. But there was that element of forgiveness that began to just soak into his bones and might need to soak into yours. And there will come a time when it will become clear that that which was meant for evil, God is going to use it for good. You need to claim that. Look to him. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. He will see you through. Get everything you can in the fight, but look unto the author and finisher of your faith. I pray for that in your life. And if we could ever be of help to you here at Life, Love, and Family, feel free to call us. Our toll-free number, 855-455-3264. That number again, 855-455-3264. Or visit us at lifeloveandfamily.net. That website again, lifeloveandfamily.net. Thanks for listening life, love, and family. America's number one Christian residential treatment program, Honey Lake Clinic. Specializing in addiction, depression, anxiety, bipolar, PTSD, staffed by nationally recognized psychiatrists and psychologists, a team of MDs and 24-hour nursing care, a 600-acre scenic sanctuary of unmatched beauty, Honey Lake Clinic. Most insurance accepted, scholarships available. Phone 844-747-7772. Online, honeylake.clinic.